Okay, so um, we have three other children. And we got pregnant with our fourth, and everything was plugging along like normal. Um, I remember early on, I'm real in tune with my body, so I knew when we conceived. And I, I kept thinking in the ultrasound measurements that it was they were two weeks off. Like they kept saying, "You're this many weeks," and I was like, "No." I don't think that's right. And I kept noticing that the baby seemed to be smaller. The story begins with Rachel's 24-week checkup. She knew something wasn't right, but the doctor kept insisting that everything was fine, that some babies just grow slower. It was, the baby was still like two weeks behind. They kept saying it was measuring two weeks behind. And I was like, that's not right. At another appointment, Rachel saw that her baby was still measuring two weeks behind. And this time she spoke up. The doctor finally ran some tests, and here is how Rachel describes the appointment. And so he looked, and then he looked, and he said, you know what, I'm going to send you, and I was by myself at this appointment, there may be some genetic anomalies, I'm going to send you to UAB. And so, of course, I burst into tears because the word genetic anomalies, your brain goes to the worst case scenario. Um, and I didn't have my husband, who's like my rock, with me. And so I called him in the car and then we started that process of going to UAB for appointments. They make you watch these videos with all of these genetic disabilities like Down syndrome and then trisomy 13, trisomy 18. Those are the ones that are like, they go into depth about how they're lethal and they're terminal and, you know, your baby won't survive. I mean, I'm telling you, this doctor's appointment lasted what seemed like eight hours. It was so long and cold and awful. Then Rachel went in for a level two ultrasound that checks on all the internal organs. She sat in the room for two hours while a nurse assistant took pictures in silence. And she was taking pictures of this and pictures of that and pictures, of that, I mean, all over. And I was saying, is everything okay there? Is everything okay? Like, does that look okay? And all she kept saying was, I can't answer any questions. The doctor will have to. So then I started getting nervous. Well, then the doctor comes and then she takes over an hour taking pictures. And I finally got the courage after just sitting there in silence with Brian holding my hand saying, does that look okay? And she said, we'll get to the brain issues in a second. And that was the first thing she said to me. Then the doctor spoke up and she said, the baby has this malformation, this brain malformation, this brain malformation, this brain malformation, kidney defects and a heart defect. The baby is smaller than it's supposed to be. We typically don't see one of these brain malformations, much less all three together. She, they said she had Dandy Walker, um, which is part of your cerebellum, does not form correctly. She has colpocephaly, which your ventricles are formed kind of like a capsule, but hers are teardrop shaped. And then she had a genesis of the corpus callosum, which we have our left and right hemisphere of our brain. And then the center portion of our brain is connected. All these nerve endings, that's called the corpus callosum. She has none, like hers is completely absent. Um, so she had that and then heart defect and then kidney defect. And she was uber tiny. By this point, they were saying she was measuring more than two weeks behind, I think four weeks behind. And so they, they literally just laid that all out there. The doctor said, this is what it is. We think it's trisomy 13. If you're going to abort, the state laws for abortion is 20 weeks. Even though she's 24 weeks, her cerebellum is only measuring 18 weeks. So we will use that measurement in order to get basically cheat the system and abort her. All I said was, well, is it a boy or a girl? You know, like it's not an it. I want to know who she is, you know, 
And we both were like, no, that's not an option for us, abortion, you know? She says that at first her and Brian were really scared. They didn't know if she was going to suffer or not. It was a it was a moment's thought, which helps me have more compassion for those that do are in the same situation as me because you feel hopeless, you know, um, as, as much as I'm opposed to abortion, I also am because life is not in our hands. I'm not, I see where these women feel just hopeless, which is sad because that doctor made me feel hopeless and I'm a believer and I love Jesus and I know better. We didn't know if she was going to suffer or not, but that, that was a fleeting moment because in the, in the end, God is so big and he's a big God about big things. And we do not determine the days of life. He does. And so there's no way I could ever make that call. She said the mood of the day couldn't have been better for how horrible it was. They left and it was dark and pouring rain. They were then assigned a genetic counselor, a woman who called them every day for two weeks, pressuring them to make the decision of termination. To the point where I couldn't answer the phone calls anymore. My husband did, and he had to be firm and say, look, we don't believe this way, so you need to give on, give up on that. We're not doing that route, you know. The whole pregnancy was doom and gloom every time I went to the doctor. You know, it was, she's not growing. This is still there. This isn't going to go away. We don't know if she'll breathe on her own. She's probably going to need um, to be intubated. She's probably never going to eat on her own. We don't know the severity of her retardation. I mean, I just remember all that. I was supposed to deliver at nine. I had like a sea of people loving me and being in the hospital with me that whole day. And they didn't deliver me till two because it was UAB. And it was literally like Gray's Anatomy where they have teaching hospitals and 50 different people would come in and say, she's probably not going to eat. She's probably not going to be able to breathe. We're going to take her from you. You're not going to see her. I mean, it was just constant, but she had a resident deliver her and he sliced her head open during birth, like in the C-section, like she they sliced her head open. Like they cut so deep in my uterus, they cut her. And she was only three pounds full term. Like when she was born, my blood pressure was 250 because I thought for sure she was trusting me 13. And I hate even saying that about my own child, but I did not prepare myself for a special needs baby. I thought she was going to die or she was going to be perfectly healed because God heal her. Cause that's what I was praying for, you know? Um, and she did not look like a normal baby. Like, I, I, I didn't, she didn't look like she even had ears. Her face looked so bad. Like, I have a picture. I, I'll send it to you. I save it because it's just a miracle that God is just how God works. They took her from me. Uh, she was tiny. They had to put her in all the things, you know. Anyway, I just was like, this is so traumatic. Like, I need someone to be caring for me, being extra careful, not being callous with this delivery but anyway all that to say um I didn't get to see her for a while or hold her for a long time which was hard for me because I've held every baby and I'm big breastfeed hippie mom uh, and so but she was down there I think she was on oxygen for a while but she did not have to be intubated which is a miracle and then I fed her now she couldn't suck on like nurse but I fed her from like cotton balls when I, ex I would express like milk 
it was, it was just crazy. Like the whole, the whole miracle started happening. The fact that she was even alive was a miracle in and of itself. Cause they told me she might not be, you know, and then just that I got to hold her, I think after 12 hours, which they told me that wouldn't happen. I wouldn't get to hold her for a while because she wouldn't be eating or breathing. And then just the miracle started coming flooding in after she was born. It was crazy. I mean, it's just amazing, but she's been a fighter. It makes me cry since she was born. I mean, we went home. She was three pounds and four ounces when we went home. They let us go home after two weeks, only two weeks in the hospital. It's insane when they said she wouldn't even live, you know? So her whole story is miraculous. And now she's about to turn seven and she's a mess, (laughs) a beautiful mess. Happy birthday to She's trying, Daddy. I heard her. Don't get your hair on fire, Daddy. <laughs> yeah. Your turn. <laughs> yeah. This is an audio clip of Anna Pruitt's family, including a new younger sister named Ellis, singing her a happy birthday. This summer, Anna Pruitt is turning seven, and to think that she wasn't even predicted to live an hour. This is only the beginning of Anna Pruitt's story. The memories of Rachel's pregnancy and delivery already show the miracles that are woven through Anna Pruitt's life, beginning when she wasn't even born. Like her mama says, she's always been a fighter. Happy birthday, she said. 